the Something Else Podcast. So it's the first podcast in what will be a series of them, I hope. So because it's our first one, kind of like a first date, I thought I'd set the scene. So I'm currently sitting here in a very, very nice inherited wooden chair by a fire. You can probably hear the crackling. I've got a nice little glass of port. Uh, i got my really nice silk robe and my leather slippers. Just ready to talk to you, really. Now, who am I kidding? I'm just sitting at my uh, dining table. And I'm in my Christmas pyjamas with a Christmas hat and a cup of tea in one of my favourite mugs of The Who. Today, I really didn't know what to talk about, if I'm honest. So what I thought I'd do is talk about things that I'm interested in, because why not? I am doing the podcast. And I'm a parent. I have a child. He's uh, two. And it's it's really now only watching children's TV shows as a parent do I see it from a whole new point of view. Like, I'm watching cartoons I've never really seen before, like um, Bing. I, to this day, do not know what Bing is. I'm very concerned about him. But that's not why we're here. You see... There's always theories, whether it's a children's TV show or, you know, a popular one like a theory about who killed who or where is this person buried. For some reason, it always revolves around death and revenge. But um, what I want to talk about today is actually children's shows. So um, as I said, watching it as a parent, these uh, children's shows now, it's completely different, really. Um... I've printed out some theories, and I've got some of my own. Um, so if you hear paper like this, that that's that's me looking at my notes. And it, it, it's only because, since watching these TV shows on, like, uh, Milkshake, they do have quite a few shows. And, like, I'm watching them thinking, well, that wouldn't work. Or, that's a bit odd, surely this would happen. And yes, I know, they are shows. But to the children, they are real more than anything in the world. It's like... It's like a way of life for them. Without the cartoons, they are nothing. They need those superpowers like PJ Masks and... and... um... um... other superhero-based cartoons. So, I'm gonna start with the classic one, The Rugrats. Now, I love The Rugrats. I'm a 90s baby, so I grew up with them. It's amazing. And it's only diving into this whole subject that I realised just how... Like, I thought I looked into things a bit too much. But um, some of these people on the internet, my God, they take it to a whole new level. So, I'll just read what I've got here. So, the theory is that the Rugrats are all, like the children, like Tommy and Chucky, they're all a result of Angelica's imagination. So, it doesn't sound too bad. But it's when you get into the reasoning for each child. So, apparently, Chucky died with his mother... And Tommy was stillborn, which is why Chucky's father is a nervous wreck and Tommy's father is always making toys for the son that he never had, or the son that never had a chance to live. And I cannot remember how you say this name, the Devils, um, the ones with the twins. Apparently, um, the mum had an abortion, and because Angelica didn't know if it was a boy or a girl, she's just kind of made this, well, she's just got both of them, so she's made uh, imaginary boy and girl, Phil and Lil. So that's pretty, pretty gross. Well, not gross, but pretty, like, 
too intense for a children's morning show. But apparently it gets worse. Uh, the theory also includes the spin-off, All Grown Up, which was awful, never watch it, because it states that Angelica was bipolar schizophrenic, who got addicted to drugs as a teenager, leading her, oh, leading to her to recreating her childhood in an imaginary world, and because of the time-lapse, her creations were older. Oh, and she died of an overdose when she was 13 at the end of All Grown Up. My God, I'm never going to see Rugrats in the same way. I mean, come on. that That's pretty... That's pretty horrible, <laughs> especially if you grew up watching them. Another one is Winnie the Pooh. Um, it says that Winnie the Pooh and all his all of his friends have psychological disorders. Um, so it says here it's pretty clear that Eeyore was a clinical depressed, a depression, or has clinical depression. I cannot speak or read today. But when you, die, uh, yeah, when you dive further into the other characters, you can't help but to notice a recurring theme. And this theory has medical weight behind it. The Canadian Medical Association actually diagnosed them all. So the study reckoned that each of the central characters were representations of different issues. Uh, Piglet has generalised anxiety disorder. Owl is dyslexic. Um, Tigger has a serious case of ADHD. Uh, Pooh Bear himself has both ADHD and OCD, as well as impulsive tendencies, such as his obsession with honey and repetitive counting habits. Okay. And human character, Christopher Robin, apparently has schizophrenia, as the others are all manifestations of his own imagination. Okay, that's just made me really, really wish I never read that. Wow, that's that's horrifying. <laughs> But th those are two from, like, my childhood and before. So, like, obviously Winnie the Pooh's been going for years. But the ones that really started to get me were the ones that my son watches. So, like, he watches um, a channel called Milkshake um, in, in England. It's on Channel 5. It's friggin' awesome. And there was some on there that really, really made me think, like, there's a show called Shane the Chef. Now, I love that show. Um... For some reason, if you go on forums on the internet, it's full of mums that hate it. Oh, I hate his accent. Oh, I hate literally everything about it. But I really enjoy it because it teaches children really minor things, but in a really cool way. So, like, little things like how to wash your hands before handling food or, you know, there's little life lessons like working together to, you know, succeed at a task. But the thing that I really like about it is the fact that the animations... Oh, what's the best way? It's kind of like have you if you've seen the Lego movies, like the recent ones, they used a really cool. Um, can't remember what the actual program is or how they did it. What it's called, but they use something where they use lighting, but it's like based on real lighting. So like, um, or a good example, if you've played the new Red Dead, which came out a couple of years ago, if you stand side on into the sunset, you can see like the light shining through your character's nose or ears, and that's kind of what they've done in Shane the Chef. Again, I'm looking into it way too much, even onto the animation level. But if you watch that show, it, it it's brilliant. So it revolves around this little village, um, lots of really important characters. You've got a guy in a wheelchair who's like an inventor. He's awesome. You've got the classic fisherman who's terrible at his job, but always manages to, you know, get the catch of the day. Um, you've got a farmer. You've got a Italian... Um, shop owner and then you've got Shane and his daughter whose name has escaped me 
Now Shane's the chef, obviously, his name's a title, I've already said that. But he has no wife, and I'm pretty sure they've explained what happened. But I have a theory about it. I reckon. Because he's always... Whenever he's around the farmer, she's always a bit different. I can't remember what her name is. I want to say Jess. We'll say Jess. And she's always a bit like, oh, hang on, hey, hey, you know. A, a bit flustered around him. And it's, it's not a solid theory. It's just one I'm kind of made up. But I reckon, because of how awesome Shane is, and he does not fit in, in in this little village thing. He's like a complete outsider. And I reckon that the town killed his wife because they're outsiders. And that the farmer wanted him. Not that any of this means much to you if you're listening. Because you probably haven't watched Shane the Chef. Go and watch it. See what you think. But the meat of this podcast is all about two classic shows from when I was a child. And maybe, well definitely before my time. But it's it's mostly now. Like Thomas the Tank Engine and Fireman Sam. And Postman Pat actually. I've got a cool one about him. But it's... When I, when I used to watch them back in the 90s, they were still like the, the models or the puppets, where now it's all animated, it's CGI, that sort of thing. Now, if you're a child show nerd, you probably know these theories, and these conspiracy theories made by people that really read into things more than they should. But the Thomas the Tank Engine one is intense, and this all started, like, I, I'm in no way... Uh, uh, a tank expert, a tank, um, a train expert, especially steam trains. I know nothing about them. So it's it's only watching or going to... Like, my son loves trains um, for his birthday. He had nothing but trains. It's great. But um, we went to a train museum, and it was only really seeing a steam train up that close and where they would shovel coal, because we got to ride one as well, which was awesome, because I've never been on a steam train that actually moved. Unless you used to go to the Science Museum in Brum, Birmingham, and uh, you got to go on steam train and rock back and forwards. Yay! But anyway, I digress. So, going to this museum that had the front of the train open. Now, they shovel the coal from the tender into the, the firebox, which is connected to the front part of the train where the driver is. Now, that coal goes into the, the front of the train, essentially. And they, when it's all done, they need to take out all the burnt stuff and you know, get rid of the waste. So they open up the front. In Thomas the Tank Engine, the front of the train is where his face is. Now, if you haven't already realised what I'm getting at, the opening of the front of the train is Thomas the Tank Engine's face. That's where the waste coal or whatever you want to call it comes out. Charcoal, I don't know. Is that what it is? My God, I'm really, really unprepared for this. Anyway, so with that in mind... Obviously, they can't take Thomas or his friends' faces off. So, do they throw it up? Do they spit it out? I don't know. And that's the problem. It makes no sense. They're constantly shoveling coal in the back of his head. Yet, where does it go? You know what I mean? This is where it gets interesting. And I found a theory about it. Now, prepare yourself. This could get intense. We might have to have a cry. We might have to contemplate what we're going to do for the rest of our lives. So, are you ready for this? Readers of Thomas the Tank Engine have cooked up a grim theory that the popular stories are set in a post-apocalyptic wasteland. It's freaking fallout. The theory goes that the island of Sodor is the steam engine's only 
safe zone. I did do that in quotes, but you can't see me. Um, on the scorched earth where the trains are cannibalized and sold off for scrap. If they dare resist their all-powerful master, the Fat Controller. I mean, come on, that's freaking horrifying straight away. Um, in one of the Thomas books called Stephanie the Bluebell Engine, a train called Percy says, Engines on the other railways aren't safe now. What does he mean? What does he mean? They're not safe now? Ooh. Their controllers are cruel. They don't like engines anymore. They put them on cold, damp sidings and then they... They... Cut them up. Now, Percy, don't get me started on Percy. He's a right dick. But come on. That is scary. Um... But it carries on here saying, and an illustration from the book fleshes out this sinister theory with an image of a train whose face has been removed as punishment for his disobedience. My God, maybe he's finally going to cough up all the burnt coal and everything. Meanwhile, the portly fat controller sits at the top of the brutal society, forcing the trains to work to the bone for him, threatening them to the scrap uh, to the scrapyard if they defy his rules. I mean. Oh, I've, I've been watching, well, since lockdown, really, I've been watching a lot of Thomas the Tank, even the films. I can't go back to watching what I used to watch. It's, it's just not the same. But it's like, when you look at it, you do think, oh, my God, maybe this is, you know, I know it's a kid's cartoon. Um, I forgot the reverend's name. But the guy that wrote it, I know it was, I'm hope, hoping it wasn't down to, like, all this post-apocalyptic thing. Because there was another theory that it's about a boy in a orphanage or a care home, whatever you want to call it now. But it's about him playing with his trains, and each train is based off one of the nurses or, I don't know, teachers, whatever they're called, whatever title they have, but it's based around them. That's why all the trains have different personalities, characteristics. But going back to the um, like fallout kind of thing, um, it says, in the TV show, when one stubborn engine, Henry, who has to have Welsh coal... Um, refuses to slave away any longer. The fat controller exacts his revenge by effectively sentencing him to death. So, so I, I remember this, and I've even got it in a book from when I was a kid. So basically, Henry's scared of rain. He doesn't want to move, so he hides in a tunnel. So what does the fat controller do? He takes up the rails and puts a brick wall up, and he leaves him there. Um, the fat controller tells the terrified train, we shall take away your rails and leave you here for always and always and always. And a brick wall is built up to entomb him inside the dark tunnel. The narrator gloats. So if you've never watched Thomas, there's a narrator that tells you kind of what's happening. So you have the character's voices, then there's a narrator. And the narrator gloats. I think he deserved his punishment, don't you? Holy shit, maybe he's like, maybe he's part of it. I mean, it goes on about how they're, um, you know, pumping the trains full of propaganda to like basically scare them. I mean, th this one is crazy big. But yeah, that that's like the biggest theory that they're in this post-apocalyptic world where trains are, I'm quoting again, safe on Soldor. But there was another theory that the reason why they all have grey faces is because when this nuclear whatever happened, that the, it was something like the drivers of the train turned into like this horrible grey kind of matter. So they stuck them onto the trains they would have drove or whatever. Crazy theories, I know, but pff, I absolutely love them. Another one was Fireman Sam. Now, this one is is brilliant. If you've ever watched Fireman Sam, you'll understand the pain of everyone, even from when I used to watch it as a kid with Norman. 
Norman Price. So if you've never watched Fireman Sam, it's about a man called Sam who's a fireman. Boom! That's how you rhyme. He is in a town called um, Ponty Pandy, and I loved it as a child. There's, there's some funny characters. Here's a strange one. It's only now as a parent or as an adult I've realised they're Welsh. Didn't know that. But, um... Oh, and here's another cool one. If you've ever watched um, Mr. Tumble, uh, when he does the live shows, Mr. Tumble's Home or House or something like that, he has um, a companion, a robot. The guy that plays the robot is the one that does Fireman Sam's voice. Anyway. So, in Fireman Sam... Um, there's a little fire force, firefighting service. Um, you've got Fireman Sam, you've got Alvis, you've got Chief Officer Steele. He's like the, the the head, you know, head guy of the service. Um, you've got Penny, and there's another one. There's an Australian guy that flies um, flies the helicopters and stuff. But the theory is that Norman, his mum, what's her name, Dilly. The theory is that Dilly and Fireman Sam had a bit of a thing, had a bit of a one-nighter, and created Norman. That's why, if you look at Norman, he has ginger hair, just like Fireman Sam. But the theory, my God, is intense. So what they're saying, I mean, that that's the big thing that Dilly and Fireman Sam got together, you know. You know, kind of, kind of played, you know, throw the hoop on the stick, and then next thing you know, baby came out. But... And the only reason why they say that is because if you ever see it when Fireman Sam's round by Dilly in her shop, she always gets flustered, she doesn't know what to say, she's clumsy, blah, blah, blah. You know, proper love actually crap there. But um, he's always obviously saving the day, and who's mostly the, the culprit? Norman. But the theory is that Fireman Sam was actually going, like he was married, not going out, he was married to Penny Morris, the female firefighter, um, but they had... and and. Norman was their child, but they had a crazy accident and they all died. And what happened is because she's a firefighter as well, they went to like the afterlife called Ponty Pandy, which is kind of like the heavenly resort for deceased firefighters. And the guardian of Ponty Pandy is the chief officer, um, Steele, he's the guardian of it. But the problem is because they've died and gone to this new world sort of thing, they've lost their memories of their past life. So they have no idea that they were married. They have no idea that Norman is their son. I mean, I won't get into it because I don't really know after that part. But th this is the awesome part. There's another um, chief officer called Boyce, I think his name is. And he's always trying to get Fireman Sam away from Ponty Pandy. If you look at it in kind of how it's going, you've got Steele, who's the guardian. You know, he's looking after the deceased firefighters. Then you've got Boyce, who's trying to take him away. Maybe he's the devil trying to take him to hell. God, I'm getting into this now. And it's another theory is that maybe Fireman Sam is already in hell because he's constantly in a loop where he's, he's saving the day. Um, it's always saving bloody Norman. So maybe that's that's his hell because he's constantly doing the same thing. I mean, it's, it's all theories. It could, be, it could be right, I don't know. I mean, another thing about Fireman Sam is where's the rest of the, the, the um, emergency services? You know what I mean? You've got the fire service. I think there's a nurse in it and a handyman, but there's no police. There's no, like, I mean, not that you'd need SWAT for Norman. Saying that, Norman is a bit of a, a prick, so. But it's not the point. It's not the point. It's just a theory. Um, For another puppet show that's now CGI, Postman Pat, here's one. 
and I think this theory was first first appeared on Twitter uh, a couple of years ago. So the theory is that Postman Pat literally shagged every woman in this town because there's <laughs> there's a picture or like a screenshot of one of the episodes in the school. I think I'd say about eighty percent of the children all have ginger hair, exactly like Postman Pat. So it's kind of like, okay, player. I mean, you know, he he always handles with care, you know, first class delivery. I'm going to stop with the Postman Pat puns. But I just thought these theories were brilliant, especially the Fireman Sam one. I've never heard it before. And I just thought that was really cool, like how they've kind of made it in a biblical sense, like with the guardian angel and the devil. Um, Another good one, I'll probably round it up after this, is the Ed, Ed and Eddie one. Now, back in the, what, mid to late 90s, Ed, Ed and Eddie ruled every kid's show. It was on Cartoon Network. I think it was on Boomerang now or something. You can probably still get it. I think it's on Prime, but you do have to pay for it. And um, if you've never heard of Ed, Ed and Eddie, which I really hope you have because it's awesome. It's about three boys, well, three friends, Ed, Ed and Eddie. Um, You've got Ed, who's like the one who, you know, he's the businessman. He's always in to make a plan. And it's kind of like Del Boy from um, Only Fools and Horses. Then you've got uh, Ed, who is the, the the other Ed. He's the, I don't want to say stupid one, but he's the, yeah, he's the stupid one. Um, so he's always getting into mischief. And if you ever watched it, and I really hope you have, you would understand this. Buttered toast and gravy and sponges. He was amazing. And then you've got um, Double D who always wore a hat and he was like OCD he was smart he was always inventing things obviously all the time everything went wrong for him but the to, to give you background as well there's lots of other kids in the show there's no adults I just want to clarify that I can't you had Kevin um Ralph the Kanker sisters there's there's a few characters and this is where this theory is scary or rather it really messes your childhood up so the theory is the purgatory theory. I'm pretty sure I pronounced that wrong. So basically, the theory is that the children who inhabit the cul-de-sac where they live are actually dead. In reality, they live... What's this say? The cul-de-sac are actually dead in reality and that the lives they lead or led, they actually take place in like a purgatory kind of setting. So the lives they led are just in this kind of, it's a purgatory version of their life. I really like that word. <laughs> so, I mean, there's lots in this one. So, according to the theory, the children in the cul-de-sac each hail from different eras spanning the early 1900s to the early 2000s. This would explain why the years for the show is very hard to pinpoint with multiple, um, d- you know, different presences throughout. And that's why there's no adults. I mean, you do see some every now and then, but it's not like for a decent amount of time. So the first child to arrive is Ralph, or Rolf. I call him Ralph, then his name's Rolf. He arrived from the 1900s. The theory goes his family had moved to Peach Creek in order to establish a farm on the island. Rolf died when he, in 1903 um, when his family's farm and animals stand... Uh, wow, the, the animals on his farm uh, basically trampled all over him and killed him. This was, supposed, this was the supposed reason as to why he only uh, has one cow, one goat and a few pigs and a few chickens. Not enough to cause a fatality. Uh, the next one is Johnny and his 2x4 plank. Um, I definitely remember carrying a plank around as a child because I thought it was awesome. 
until your dad threatens to hit you in the head because you look stupid. Anyway, Johnny came to the cul-de-sac not too long after Rolf's, uh, Rolf's death. Having no friends, Johnny took a marker and drew a face on a piece of wood and dubbed it Plank. He died in 1922 after fighting a long battle of tuberculosis. Cool fact, I had TB. Um, six years before the discovery of penicillin. He took his friend Plank with him in the afterlife since he was the last thing that he saw in life before he died. Uh, Purgatory would also ex- explain Plank's occasional sentient behaviour, which is most notable demonstrated in the movie. Hang on, there's a movie? My god, what fan am I? The next is Eddie. He was born in New York but eventually moved to uh, Peach Creek during the Great Depression era, always trying to get a quick book. Oh, Eddie's the little one. God damn, I need to watch this again. He's always trying to work up a scam to get money uh, from the children in the cul-de-sac um, in an effort to escape the poverty he spent his whole life uh, his whole life in. Eddie didn't have a proper father figure since his real father abandoned him and his mother shortly after he was born. With this came the big bro he adored and idolised very much despite the uh, latter's abusive nature. Oh my god. After one of his scams went wrong, Eddie was chased by the swindled children of the cul-de-sac and ran to the lake and jumped into it. Eddie ends up drowning, Jesus Christ, in the lake, and he soon joined the other deceased children in the afterlife. Even though he's no longer alive, Eddie still tried to chase after the almighty dollar by continuing his um, scams and stuff in the afterlife. Holy crap. Ed and Sarah were the next to arrive in the cul-de-sac. Their father had died fighting in World War II, and as a result, their mother became distant and disconnected. To cope, Sarah developed her bossy attitude, trying to fill the role... Oh yes, Ed's the big guy. To fill a role of the pair... Uh, I've lost it. To fill, to fill the role of oh, so she basically became tried to fill the role of the parents. Conversely, Ed shut the world out and uh, delved into fantasy worlds and comic books and uh, monster movies, which exploded in popularity during and after World War Two. In order to escape his unhappy life, they both died in a freak car accident in 1953, thus joining the past kids in death. Jesus, man. Naz, who was Naz? Naz was born. Oh, yeah, she's the girl that Kevin likes. Um, Naz was born in the 1960s era to hippie parents, described as a flower child. She was rather a flirtatious young girl who would always act that way towards the male children. In the summer of 79, a serial killer, Jesus Christ, escaped from a local asylum, made his way to a house. I'm just going to say murdered her. That, this one took a drastic change. I really should have proofread this. And then the last one is... Uh, Ed, double D, he was born in the 70s when preparing to attend college from a young age because uh, became the societal norm expectations and was raised by very strict, controlling, emotional, distant parents. They pushed him to succeed academically and to be perfectly clean and neat. Um, his behaviour, oh, he, he's believed to have died as a result of a gas leak causing an explosion with the Bunsen burner from the, his chemistry set. Jesus, this is really, really messed up. Um, so we've only got three left. We have Kevin. He was born around the 1980s. He was born to a broken down house and he also had an abusive father who was poorly educated and his mum passed away when he was a year old. Um, he, because of his situation at home, he would act in frustration on the other children of the cul-de-sac, basically becoming a bully. His fascination with his bike fits right with the birth of the popular X Games in 1995. One night in winter of 99, his father fatally beat him in a fit of drunken rage, and he died while he was on his way to the hospital. Jesus Christ, man. But when he joined the afterlife, he reimagined his dad as a really loving father figure. He still kept his bullying... Oh, he still kept the bullying ways on the afterlife. The next one's Jimmy. He was the last child to enter into the cul-de-sac. He was born in the early 1990s, 
and was diagnosed with leukemia. Jesus, that's why he was so, well, yellow. Um, he never associated with the other cul-de-sac children because his parents believed he was too frail to be around the other children. Um, he remained bedridden for the remainder of his life because of this fact. After fighting a difficult battle, he, he died, basically. And now you've got the cankers. Uh, they were from a different... The cankers were different from the other neighbourhood children. It is believed that they are actually demons that were sent to the cul-de-sac to torment the souls of the remaining children who didn't cross over to heaven. The cankers are the only characters with normal coloured tongues, which would seem like an indication that they are not dead, and therefore they must be something different. Surprisingly, the cankers are attracted to the Eds for unknown reasons. However, one common guess is that they are the weakest will children of the cul-de-sac because they each symbolise a certain deadly sin. Oh shit, that's amazing. So, I have taken stuff out of this just because obviously it's going to be a long, long one. But the theory points, um, evidence of this is the children have green and blue tongues and tongues do in fact turn bluish shade when you die. This is a conspicuous lack of, there is a conspicuous, I can't speak, there's not many adults. The summers are endless and the whole series takes place in the same area. Holy crap. Holy crap. Like... I knew a bit about that theory, but some of this has just gone way over my head. Like, the deaths, that, hell no to that. Um, I mean, the last one was there's theories around what's under uh, Double D's hat. It says, um, his sock hat, because I call him Sockhead. Um, many viewers believe that he was, he was deformed from birth and that he either has an ear underneath his hat or a deformed twin. These beliefs stem from multiple occurrences in the show in which Ed is shown without his hat on. For example, in the TV movie for the series Ed, Ed and Eddie's Big Picture Show, uh, Eddie was horrified by what was under his friend's hat and Ed also asked Double D if whatever was under, the, under his head hurt. Fortunately for the viewer, Ed's head is obscured during the scene and the viewer doesn't get to find out what the big reveal was. But the theory is that, Jesus, this just gets worse. <laughs> and one theory is that Double D had cancer. Yeah, it it just yeah, it's basically he has cancer and he has to have like treatment so he loses his hair. How about that for a first uh, podcast talking about conspiracy fan theories of children's shows and it drastically takes a very dark twist. Oh my god. Anyway, let's try and make this happier. Um, like I said, this is the very first one that I've ever done, and I will do another one. But the question is, what next? What next? Anyway, that does it for this one. I will catch you on the next one. I hope you enjoy and have a great day. Bye.